What up, Landos? This is Kelso, and this is the Kelso Lando Show. Okay, so today I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about Dennis Rader, also known as the BTK killer. He was a serial killer from, let's see... Uh, 1974 and 1991, he killed 10 people in Wichita and Park City, Kansas. Now, normally I don't like to give these kinds of psychopaths a lot of attention. Obviously, I've been calling the killer in the Idaho 4 or Moscow murders case, BK, because he's still alive. He hasn't been convicted I don't want to give him any more like notoriety or attention, especially as a woman. I feel like it's like directly offensive to me to like give him any attention at all because that's all he ever wanted, in my opinion. Okay, so Dennis Rader. I find this case super interesting because the only reason he was caught was because of his own need for that attention which again kind of makes me feel weird about talking about him but hey he was caught and convicted in 2005 it's a very well-known case and actually bk's one of his professors at pullman university i think wrote a book on btk uh now the acronym BTK, he gave it to himself, um, which again, I feel like goes to show like some of the like mental state that these people are in. It's about, you know, doing these violent crimes, but it's also about the notoriety that comes with it because otherwise these people wouldn't be known for anything. They'd be forgotten about like the rest of us um most of us which is fine you know living a life where you're not famous and no one pays attention to you like I mean there's like eight billion of us on this planet you know you're not gonna hear about 99.99 percent of people anyways so BTK is interesting because I don't know. I think his last murder was in 1999, 1991. And then he took 10 years off. Um, or, well, his Wikipedia, I'm getting most of my information from his Wikipedia. I knew about him before his Wikipedia page. I mean, probably not before it existed, but I didn't find out about him through Wikipedia. Again, my mom's a big true crime fan and she introduced me to him probably um but yeah he started his murders had gone cold by you know 2004 and so he because he wanted attention started sending letters uh that ultimately led to his 2005 arrest So, yeah, we'll get into it. So, this guy, he was married. He had two kids, which is also part of the tragedy. Can't imagine him being my dad. Um, 
So let's see. So by 2004, uh, the BTK killer was considered a cold case. And that's when he started initiating communications to local media. He did a series of 11 different communications that actively led to his arrest in February 2005. Now, this case is also crazy to me because I always thought that he was caught a long time ago, but I was in the fifth grade in 2005. Like, I was aware walking around making decisions, albeit like 10 year old decisions, but here we are. So, in March 2004, the Wichita Eagle, he lived in Wichita, Kansas, received a letter from someone using the name Bill Thomas Kilman. And the author claimed that he murdered one of the victims, Vicki Wargler, on September 16th, 1986. And enclosed in this communications was a series of photographs of the crime scene and a photocopy of Vicky's driver's license, which had been stolen at the time of the crime. Now, if you're familiar with true crime and murderers, you might know that a lot of murderers and serial killers take what are known as trophies from their victims. It's kind of a way for them to like relive the thrill of it. I guess kind of like an actual trophy. Uh, Yeah, so it's not super uncommon for these weirdos to do that. And a lot of people in the Idaho 4 and Moscow murder case theorize that BK might have taken a trophy from the crime scene. And a lot of times these trophies are like a a smoking gun because why else would he have this woman's driver's license, you know? So, yeah, it's again, like, kind of gives you a little insight into the mindset of these kind of people. Like, they don't operate on the same, like, thought process we do. And I was going to talk about motive later, but I'll kind of get it to that now a lot I keep telling my roommate uh about the murder like giving her updates and she's like she keeps asking she's like what's the motive and it's also funny because on police off the cuff with sergeant bill he's always talking about you know people asking about motive in this case and he's always like the prosecution doesn't need to prove motive, you know, Um, (laughs) which is true. Uh, And for me, the whole motive question, I'm like, you're never going to find a motive for this kind of horrific crime. Like, especially when, when it comes to true psychopaths, like I said earlier, like most murders are done by people um, who know their victims, who like have a relationship with them, them. And in those cases, I think it's easier to find motive because yeah, it like something about your relationship triggers you to murder. I mean, it's a little more understandable, but when people murder complete strangers, you know, do horrific things like this, I operate from the mindset that I will never understand 
what that person was thinking because I don't have any desire, intention or anything to do any of the sort. Um, so that's kind of like the baseline. So if you start from there, like nothing that is rational in their mind is really going to make sense to me, then I think you can start getting into the mind of the perpetrator. Perpology, as Sergeant Bill would say. And perpology is really, I think, the study of the perpetrator in general, like places they went, people they talked to, favorite social media websites, who they follow on social media, their background, interests, things like that. And so... If you look at the perpology and you think, okay, this person totally different from I am, from me, I don't relate to them at all, clearly, because I would never do something like this, then I think you can start thinking like the perp. You can be like, all right, what what would a guy like this, what would motivate them to murder? Um, and then in the case of BK, switching over it's kind of ironic that I'm talking about BTK and BK kind of has the same initials but it's besides the point um so so when you're trying to think of a motive for this you have to get into his mind and I don't know if I talked about incels before but incel stands for involuntary celibate and it's kind of a new word people are using to term what probably what we used to call like losers. Uh, but it, it's really just a term for usually men who are involuntarily celibate because no one wants to have sex with them. And oftentimes it's women who don't want to have sex with them. Like that's who they focus on. I have to imagine it's more often straight men wanting to have sex with women, but creeping them out so much that no woman will give them the time of day. Because like I've said before, like the biggest threat to a woman is usually a man. And so we have to trust our instincts. And when people creep us out, our best defense is to reject them, um, to not ever let it get that far. And so there's a lot of men out there who... And I think the incel mindset, I have no background in psychology or anything, but I have to imagine it's very like, like it feeds into itself, it spirals. Like once you start feeling like rejected, then you start, you know, losing more and more self-esteem, getting down on yourself. And there's nothing less attractive than someone who doesn't like themselves, who, you know, thinks they're a loser, um, I used to like self-deprecate more because I thought, I don't know, it's charming. Uh, yeah, because I don't know, like there's such thing as like cockiness, but then if you go too far in the other direction or just self-deprecating all the time, it feels like you're fishing for compliments at best and at worst. It sounds like like you just don't like yourself. And if you don't like yourself, how can you expect other people to is kind of the end of the thing. So, and I, I've also just like, I don't know, just <laughs> you ever meet that person who like, just like acts like they pull anyone they want, you know, like, like everyone wants to to be with them. Everyone wants to hang out with them. And you're like, you know, I don't really see it. 
But since you're talking about it and you're so confident, I, you just start to believe it, you know? I, I kind of feel like that's been <laughs> more what I lean towards now. So, yeah. So if I say something like I have a big head, I'm really not trying to be self-deprecating. Like I really do have a a physically big head. Uh, none of my fiance's hats fit on my head unless I adjust them. I tell people this and they're like, you don't have a big head. And I'm like, let's do the hat test. And I like put a hat on them and then I try to put it on me and it never fits. Like my head is just big. I don't know. I don't mind it. I didn't even know I had a big head until I started dating someone and just realized like, man, my head's pretty big. So anyways, um, that's kind of like the incels so when you're thinking about motive, I think you really have to like think, okay, what is this guy? This guy is involuntarily celibate. He, BK in his case, uh, was overweight in high school. So I think maybe some of his, combined with just a lack of conscience, when I think of the definition of a psychopath or sociopath or you know, I kind of use those terms interchangeably, although they might technically mean different things. My definition or what I think in my head is someone who lacks a conscience, who sees what are what are the, what is the term for like the video game players who are just like the side characters that don't really have any background or anything. Um, just like the automated characters that like you hit, hit in Grand Theft Auto or whatever. Like I think that's what those kind of people think of other people as just like, just like random computer players in their game, you know, like they just don't have whatever it is in your brain that creates empathy for other people. And maybe they don't even have feelings themselves. Like I'll get to it later, but there's some like blog posts that BK posted when he was a teenager on I don't know if the site's called Topatox or his username was Topatox, but basically his blog post indicated that like he knows his family is nice. He knows his parents are nice, but he just feels nothing for them. And so that's, that's the mindset. So how do you understand the motive of someone who feels nothing, who, because I, I have to believe most, most of us feel things for people we love, you know? It's kind of the essence of all art, all motivations is feelings usually. So an incel who feels nothing for other people, really, who sees them as these like almost inanimate objects that just exist in his world and do their thing, um, who might have had low self-esteem because he was overweight as a child, loses that weight midway through high school and maybe thinks like, oh, this is my chance to be cool, be attractive, have more friends and perhaps women be interested in him. Um, And I don't think that happened for him. I think that there was a vibe about him that still kind of freaked people out and it had nothing to do with his weight, I'm guessing. Um, Yeah, so when he, I'm guessing when he lost that weight and, you know, was doing things to 
perhaps become a more accomplished person, like, you know, quitting heroin and getting his bachelor's degree and then his master's, and then, you know, now starting his PhD, he probably thought, you know, I'm an accomplished, somewhat attractive, you know, he's like over six feet tall, man. There's always that joke with the girls like, oh, is he cute? Like, oh, he's tall. You know, like, uh, <laughs> it's like that idea. So he probably thought, you know, I deserve some attention. That's, this is my own armchair expert point of view, but that's kind of what I think. He, he felt like a loser a lot of his life and he probably thought, you know, okay, I fit the bill. But then as he started you know, accomplishing certain things and becoming more of what he thought was what an attractive man who could, you know, attract women looked like when women still weren't giving him the time of day. I think that's when like the birth of like the incel is what I imagine. Like that's when they start, when I imagine they start thinking like, oh, it's not me. It's women that are the problem you know, which clearly isn't true. Like plenty of us women are willing to date losers. Like just not creepy losers. Not, yeah. (laughs) Like there's so many women dating below their league. It has nothing to do oftentimes with physical attraction or, I mean, yeah, physical attraction. But I think, I mean, me personally, I'm more attracted to just personalities and then they become physically attractive, you know? And I think people like these incels don't understand that, that the thing that is so unattractive is the creepiness. And then the anger that they build, the sense of entitlement to, you know, have sex with women, even though they scare, you know, the shit out of us. Uh, So, yeah. So when I think about motive in the case of the Idaho four and the Moscow murders, I think, okay, this is a guy who felt a sense of entitlement to have, you know, sex with women or perhaps a relationship with women, romantic or sexual or otherwise. And when he decided he fit the bill and it still wasn't happening, he just grew more and more angry, more and more entitled. Uh, You often see incels point at women dating, you know, losers, quote unquote, Um, And they're like, well, she's, you know, a slut and dumb and she deserves horrific things because she's just, you know, uh, whatever, slut. (laughs) I don't know. There's only so many words. And um, yeah, they fail to look inwards and be like, okay, she's dating a loser. Then what the fuck am I? Like, what am I doing wrong here? You know, because it usually starts with you if people have problems with you. Um, you're usually the common denominator in most of your relationships. That's not 50% of the population uh, that is wrong. So once you develop that sense of entitlement, I imagine he has, you know, a little bit of sociopathy or (laughs) just making up words now, psychopathy, Um, doesn't view people as real people, doesn't understand feelings or have a consciousness and then develops a sense of entitlement and frustration that women don't give him in the time of day. I think that's when he decides and maybe always had kind of a fixation on violence and killing things. And with 
serial killers, I imagine it's kind of a form of them playing God. Um, I mean, I can relate to like addicts and stuff. I've been addicted to my own things. And I think a lot of it stems at first out of a sense of control. Like I'm not just control. Um, my therapist sometimes doesn't like to focus on that part too much, more just the feelings that prompt it. But I do feel like a lot of times, me personally, my addictions are to control how I feel. And I got to imagine that if someone enjoys killing, it's like a sense of control on how they're feeling, but also like a sense of power over being able to decide when a life has ended. So you combine this fixation on violence and murder and like a sense of control along with the incel attitude, along with like socioapathy. And you get this dangerous combination of someone who uh, eventually is prompted to do something horrific. And in this case, I, that's my armchair diagnosis of BK. And that's how I arrive at a motive that will never make sense to most people. Cause we don't really operate with that mindset. So that being said, I think that what happened potentially, and there's been a lot of leaks in this case, Um, And it makes me hesitate to talk about it because I don't want to use Ethan, Zana, Kaylee, and Maddie's murders as like fodder, but it's just an interesting example in trying to understand these kind of people and the the violence that kind of belies the surface of a lot of these ideologies. And... What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So there's been a lot of leaks in this case, which is also pretty gross because there's a lot of press surrounding it, you know, with People Magazine and whatnot and everything else. And I was talking to my friend about the leaks because, like, a lot of them, like, they don't have a source, right? It's, like, someone unnamed. And I was listening to, you know, Police Off the Cuff with Sergeant Bill once again, and it's a... like retired NYPD cops and they were basically saying oh it's probably like someone on the investigation team which makes sense because this is a huge investigation right you had like 25 FBI agents like whatever number of local police detectives plus all like who knows how many people were at that crime scene the day of you know and you know what they say is like once two people know something it's no longer a secret well I think that's what's happening here is people who know some information about the case are uh selling that information to people magazine and it's as someone who is really interested in the case it it makes me feel I don't know like weird but there's a gag order now but the gag order I think only applies to people in the case. It doesn't doesn't apply to like private citizens who just know stuff and are talking about it. And they're, I think people are worried that, you know, BK might not be able to get a fair trial and therefore like any conviction against him might ultimately be appealed. 
and found unconstitutional and he might be let off, which, you know, I'm not a criminal defense lawyer or prosecutor, so I don't really know the ins and, the ins and outs of a constitutional argument regarding a fair trial. But it, yeah, if that's the case, then like these leaks need to stop. You know, I mean, I think they need to stop anyways, because what's ultimately the most important thing is that we put this, if it is the guy, we put him away, which <laughs> it's easy to tell. I think it's him just like reading the probable cause date affidavit, you know, Occam's razor, the most simple explanation is the most likely. And if you look at that affidavit, it's like BK doing it is the simplest explanation for it. And the simplest explanation for it is one person, because like I said, once two people know something, it's not a secret. And that that's really where I'm operating from. Like, there's no way two people could do this and keep it a secret or not. I don't know. Defect. Um, so, yeah. So one of these leaks was, uh, there was multiple ones, but one of the leaks was that they found that BK had messaged at least two of the girls, I think, definitely Maddie I'm not sure if he messaged both or either Kaylee and Zana but that would that had been a rumor early on in the case and that's another thing that's really interesting about this is a lot of the early rumors have now been substantiated like uh I don't know it's hard to remember all oh like there were surviving roommates there was one rumor that you know, one of them had seen the killer in a mask and everyone was like, oh, that's ridiculous. And then turns out DM saw him. So yeah. And one of the rumors in this case was like, maybe he, because he's vegan, right? So if you Google vegan restaurants in Moscow, one of the first results that pops up is Mad Greek restaurant, which is where Zana and Kaylee worked. And although it's not like specifically a vegan restaurant, Greek food is easier. Like there's certain things that like are easier to make vegan on the menu there, I guess. And, you know, you got to imagine like Moscow, Idaho, and the nearby town of Pullman probably don't have that many vegan options. Uh, I'm not vegan, so I'm not really aware like how common it is, but I do live in California. So there's like tons of vegan stuff everywhere, but my brother lives in South Lake Tahoe. <laughs> he was like, yeah, there's like no vegan options where he lives. So that's a little, uh, food for thought, but yeah. So one of the rumors was like, well, maybe he went to the restaurant and got served by like Xana or Maddie. And then that's how he him connected to them and one of the leaks has been like oh yeah he visited the restaurant at least a couple times and so my mind goes like okay so this is a guy we know uh was <laughs> like creeped women out uh, and we know that because we have some brewery owner that he used to go to this brewery and he would win, hit on the staff a lot. And when they would reject him, he'd get angry and like call them names and stuff. So that's kind of like my incel evidence. Sociopath evidence is the blog post from when he was a teenager. These are all the evidence that I'm thinking of outside the murders themselves. Um, 
incel sociopath. And I forgot the third thing that I thought led to all of this. Well, anyways, so yeah, you have the incel sociopath. Oh, and then the fixation on violence. He's a criminal. He studies in criminology. I mean, it's not, it's not like everyone who studies criminology has a fixation on violence, but I do think it kind of lends a little bit into the mindset of him. Like maybe that's related. And I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that he had killed animals before this, because that's a pretty common thing for people with a fixation on violence and eventual murders. They'll oftentimes kill animals first. So look out for that if you see some kids killing animals. Um, Yeah, so he probably, if I had to guess, went to this restaurant, saw Maddie or Zana, and became obsessed now what i i think about is like i kind of have the idea that he had imagined murdering a pretty girl before like he had some sort of fantasy about that and it was just a matter of time before he picked who that victim was gonna be and when he moved to pullman washington from Pennsylvania it was you know a fresh start Uh, who knows if he killed before I wouldn't even be surprised at that but he moved there you know having a fresh start and I have to imagine he had decided he was gonna do murders a murder like this when he moved to Washington because he moved there I believe in August and these murders happened in November so it was three months before like after his move that this happened. So he goes there, he moves there with the intention of murdering and getting away with it, but also, you know, to get his criminology degree or whatever, prove to the world he's super smart. Um, Which again, I don't know. Like, yeah, if you have a PhD, I think you can work hard, stick to something, whatever. But I don't think it's necessarily means you're smart. Um, and this is, I don't think all lawyers are smart, obviously. <laughs> like, a lot of us are dumb. It, like, anyone can be dumb. And a murder, in my opinion, is definitely dumb. So, he moves there, has this fixation on, you know, a fantasy of his. Goes to this restaurant, sees one or two pretty girls, and decides to stalk one or both of them. Starts stalking because we have evidence that his phone pinged that location about 12 times between mid-August in the murders. Starts stalking them, sees, you know, their house. And in my personal opinion, I th- the target is irrelevant because at the end of the day, four basically kids are dead. But if I had to guess the target... I would say it's Maddie. That's because she worked at the Mad Greek restaurant, which I think is how he decided on that house. And second, because he went to Maddie's room first. I mean, I don't know if he went to Kaylee's room first, but we know he went upstairs first before going to Zana and Ethan's room. 
So he went on upstairs first. Murphy was found with the door closed in Kaylee's room. Now, I have a dog. And that part kind of freaks me out because I'm like, was the dog just upstairs in... Because Kaylee and Maddie went to bed together that night. Was the dog upstairs in Kaylee and Maddie's in Maddie's room where Kaylee was sleeping with Maddie? And was the door open to their room? And did the dog come out when he heard someone there? And if so, did BK put him in Kaylee's room and close the door right away? I don't know. That just, like, creeps me out, that little detail. Like... I don't know. I just feel so bad for that dog. I mean, that's like my worst fear for my dog. Anyways, so does something with the dog. I hope to God the dog wasn't in the room with them when it happened. So he goes into Maddie's room and kills them. And I don't think he thought that they would be in bed together. I honestly... I kind of feel like he did not intend to kill that many people that night. I think he wanted to get away with this. And if he learned anything at all from his degree, I think he would know, like, you kill four people with a knife and a lot of people are going to be paying attention, you know? So, like, you kill one person with a knife. People will pay attention, but not, I mean, it wouldn't make international news. So then he goes in there, yeah, horrifically murders Kaylee and Maddie in their bed, leaving the knife sheath behind. And I think he did that because he, that's when things started to go wrong at first because he didn't expect two people to be in the bed at once. So loses the knife sheath, forgets about it, goes back downstairs. Zana was picking up her DoorDash, And we know that the DoorDash got delivered right around like 4 a.m., which they, I think, said the murders happened between like 4.07 and like 4.25. So it was like a 15-minute thing. Um, Based on like Reddit, what I've read on Reddit and like in the probable cause affidavit, I think that, so that night, I think he was watching the house, sees like, the lights go off the twinkle lights I think were left on all night so I think most of the lights in the house were off that's why he decided to enter at the time he did went upstairs came back down but now sometime around the same time Xana was picking up her DoorDash from the front door um and I don't know The theory is that she was eating the DoorDash maybe in the kitchen or something. And this is because there was a TikTok, I think, posted to Kaylee's page where it was like the roommates were mimicking each other. And the TikTok made it seem like Xana was like the neat freak in the house. And I'm not a neat freak, but as someone who's had like mouses in their house before and rats, uh, I know the first rule is don't eat your food in your room because then you're gonna have rats in your room if they do get in so I think potentially oh and then another reason people think this is because Maddie 
a lot of, or Xana, a lot of people think was found on the floor of her room. Because if you read the probable cause affidavit, the um, officer whose sworn statement it is said that they walked up the stairs and like down the hallway and saw Xana from the hallway. And I think that indicates to some people that she might've been like near the doorway to her room and not in her bed. I also think it said that Xana wasn't in her bed, um, but I'd have to double check. So she gets her food, potentially eats it out in a common area, uh, gets up to go back into her room. And in the probable cause affidavit, it says, that uh, DM heard someone say, someone's here. So I think Santa gets up to go back in her room and is like kind of freaked out because she heard someone coming down the stairs or something and had no idea anyone else was in the house, goes to her room to tell Ethan someone's here. And unfortunately, I think that BK caught up to her at this point and that's when he brutally murdered her I think that she might have been on the floor at that point and then he went to Ethan because I think Ethan must have woken up because of that and seen him and you know Something I've learned from like watching true crime stuff is if someone comes in your house and does something horrific or like something yeah, terrible, just try not to, I mean, I don't know if this is even possible, but like indicate that you did not see their face. I don't know, like anything, because that's what the perp doesn't want they don't want to be identified so if you can be like I didn't see anything like cover your eyes be like whatever um it seems like a Hail Mary but I mean yeah you don't want to be a witness to a violent crime because then you suddenly are at risk um but there's no possibility of that in this case at all so I'm not trying to say that like I'm victim blaming I just want to throw that a Hail Mary out there because I've thought about this before um so yeah I think he went for Ethan and then in the probable cause affidavit it says that this is the creepiest part to me well I don't know if this is creepiest it's all really fucking creepy um that DM heard someone say like like don't worry I'm trying to help you and I'm pretty convinced that was BK talking to Xana um because DM said that she heard Xana whimpering and I just have to imagine he went for Xana first and she was like down and out then he went for Ethan and then when he heard Xana still alive finish the job and said that to her before doing so which yeah it's terrible um and then he left and DM and we know that he went upstairs first because that's based on DM's uh, sworn statement is that she saw him once I think like she might have saw him three times I'm not sure but once walking down the stairs from Maddie 
Maddie and Kaylee's bedrooms and then once more leaving Xana and Ethan's. So we know that he was upstairs first and then and then went to Ethan and Xana's room. So and that kind of jives with the DoorDash stuff and the fact that Xana was on her phone on TikTok, we know, until at least like 4, 12 a.m. So I have to imagine she was eating her Jack in the Box on her phone and heard someone got really freaked out and went to her room and that was right next to the stairs where he was coming down. And yeah, and I think what was going to be potentially... Oh, that, and another thing. Kaylee wasn't even living at the house anymore. She just happened to be there that weekend. I've kind of thought about this, and I, she, like, allegedly was back to show off her new car to Maddie, but I kind of have a feeling she was about to start her job in the real world and move away and was feeling kind of sad because she had her ex-boyfriend at the school and her best friends, and she was moving on, starting the real world, which we all know freaking is heavy sometimes coming out of college. It's, yeah, it's hard not living with all your best friends anymore in a place that feels safe and like always something to do. And, you know, and her boyfriend of like six years, they had been you know, broken up, but she was probably still in love with him. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to get to the parasocial relationships, but she did call him like six times that night. And like, we've all been there with our best friend when they're drunk and calling, you know, their ex, um, wanting some love. So that leads me to believe that Maddie was the target since he went upstairs first and Kaylee wasn't even supposed to be there. And the fact that um, Maddie also worked at Mad Greek, which is, I think, where he got connected to the victims. Um, yeah, so I think he got fixated on Maddie being a cute young girl and, like, definitely someone who wouldn't give him the time of day who had a boyfriend and, yeah, lived out one of his fantasies, which... Again, when we go to when we talk about motive, we're never if you're like an empathetic human being who's not going to murder anyone, you would never understand because it doesn't make sense and it shouldn't because we like it it, it kind of goes against human nature, right? Like I said the social contract don't kill another person. Um it goes to a sense of control, like wanting to have power over a pretty girl who living within the norms of society he could never have any power over i mean outside of the patriarchy uh and yeah and it goes towards his psychopathy doesn't feel anything was operating somewhat rationally in the sense that he tried to kill uh witnesses at the scene I believe I think that's why um well Kaylee Zanna and Ethan potentially were murdered um again I'm just pontificating but this is kind of how I'm trying to explain motive and again motive doesn't need to be proved but if you want to understand why someone like this would do that you have to start thinking like how they might think and yeah, that's my theory. If you want 
it's not a satisfying explanation because it's scary as fuck to think that there's people out there like that but there are and that's why I try to explain that incel ideology you know misogyny it's dangerous and harmful because combined with a few other things turns into something like this um so back to btk he he just pisses me off because he's such an average dude i mean they're all like below you know but this guy just looks like i don't know you're like like a dad on an 80s tv show who's like not even a tv show because he's not i don't know i don't know anyways so this guy i don't really want to get into his murders because they're pretty creepy but i'm pretty sure he killed four people um in his first murder and that was kind of by accident it was a family and unfortunately the two older siblings came home and found their family dead um so yeah so btk started initiating those communications to the wichita eagle um also oh the television station k-a-k-e in wichita oh so he sent this television television station a letter with chapter headings for the quote btk story fake ids and a word puzzle he was trying to be all um zodiac killer about it and he taped a package to a stop sign somewhere in Kansas that had graphic descriptions of the Otero murders the Ot- from the Otero family um, in a sketch labeled the sexual thrill is my bill. I don't know what the fuck that was. Uh, enclosed was a chapter list for a proposed book titled The BTK Story, which... <laughs> Again, I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable to talk about because I'm like, I know that this this is what this guy wanted, you know. What a weirdo. That's why I try to like insult them as much as possible when I'm talking about it because it's like, I don't know. I'm not I'm not scared of this guy. What scares me is that not everyone has empathy, you know, just like the overall. But these dudes are, I mean, they think they're so powerful because they go after people not expecting to be murdered in their beds like yeah (laughs) like what where is the power in that i don't know anyways um he in july oh so he dropped a package into a public library that contained more weird material and it claimed the death of a kid that I think that claim ultimately was found like BTK didn't kill him, but he tried to take credit for it, which is gross. And yeah. So after they caught him, he said that he was like allegedly going to kill again in October, 2004 and had been stalking, stalking his intended victim. But in October, 2004, he had, dropped a manila envelope into a UPS box in Wichita with a bunch of images from his crime scenes um, and other weird stuff, a poem threatening the life of the lead investigator, um, a false 
autobiography with many details about his life. These details were later released to the public. In December 2004, Wichita police received another package from him. Uh, Yeah, so and then this one had another driver's license, which I guess was his favorite trophy. And then uh, just like other, like a doll with bound hands and feet, just like weird. I don't know. Um, Yeah, so this guy, so he kept leaving these like packages and like communicating with the police and local media. But this is my favorite part of the story. Um, Okay, actually this part is is relevant to how they caught him. I didn't want to keep talking about all the weird packages he did. But at one point he, and I talked about this in an earlier podcast about how they had the camera of his Jeep Cherokee. Cherokee. Um, So he attempted to leave a cereal box in the bed of a pickup truck at a Home Depot, but the box was discarded by the truck's owner. It was later retrieved after... Uh, Raider had um, asked what had became of it in a later message to police or media. And then after they retrieved it, they got a surveillance tape of the parking lot from that day, which revealed a distant figure driving a black Jeep Cherokee, Cherokee, um, leaving the box in the pickup. Okay, so... Yeah, so that comes up later because, and that's like what I was saying before about the white Hyundai Elantra. Like, they were able to determine that this is a black, this is a Jeep Cherokee on like, you know, 2005 security cameras based on like, you know, the distance of like the clearance between the ground and the bumper and like the, I don't know, others, car stuff. I don't know much about cars. <laughs> Okay, this is, this is the best part because this is what he just he thinks he's so smart. All of them do. But in letters to the police, Dennis Rader asked if his writings, if put on a floppy disk, could be traced or not. And then the police in answered his question in a newspaper posted to the Wichita, Wichita Eagle saying, nah like it's safe to use a a floppy disk which is so funny because it's like what do you think the police don't lie like they can i don't know like uh, police will lie all the time in interviews and stuff with um you know suspects they'll say i mean i've read them you know where like someone goes into an interview and they think they're gonna like clear their name even though they're like the perpetrator and they just they think and the police are like no we don't suspect you just come and talk to us a little and you know the person's like okay i'll just be like yeah yeah you know i was there and like again i'm very like pro knowing your constitutional rights always lawyer up if the police want to talk to you about a crime i don't know i like i'm very pro like justice but the police are not, my mom used to also tell me this. She'd be like, the police are not your friend. Um, anything you admit is automatically like, it's like admitted into the record as fact, you know, like do not, do not make, and yeah, I mean, not all police are good. I don't think all police are bad, but I definitely think you need to protect yourself because they're not always looking out for you. 
so yeah, lawyer up and demand your right to a lawyer because that's a constitutional right. Um, if you're going to be talking to the police or in a police interview, especially if they're making you do an interview. So anyways, <laughs> the police um, put this statement in the Wichita Eagle and they're like, no, nah, it's safe to use a floppy disk. We can't track it. Uh, so on February 16, 2005, Dennis Rader sent a purple 1.44 megabyte Memorex floppy disk to Fox affiliate KSAS TV in Wichita. Now, if you don't know what a floppy disk is, don't worry. I don't really know either. I'm, yeah, I mean, I remember them from when I was a kid, but I think they're just like really old flash drives that can't hold that much on them. I don't know. I think that's it. That's my, <laughs> that's my definition. Okay. So, um, I'm trying to see. Okay. So, okay. So also enclosed with the floppy disk was a gold colored necklace with large medallion and a photocopy of the rules of prey. Ugh, weird. A 1989 novel by John Sanford about a serial killer. So on this floppy disk, police found metadata embedded in an, a deleted Microsoft Word document that was unknown to Raider still stored on the floppy disk. So I think in this case, it's like if you had put a Word document on your flash drive and then, you know, deleted it later. <laughs> it's like, like my mom always says, once you put something on the inter internet, it's there forever. I think the same goes with like, I'm not a computer person, but I think the, thing go the same thing goes with like technology in general and data that's getting stored. It's there forever, even if you delete it. So... The metadata, which today we still have, if you watch like those like scary documentaries on social media and stuff, they'll talk about metadata and how like, you know, you can trace someone's location from a picture they take using the metadata and stuff like that. Like all sorts of hidden data stored in things we use, <laughs> um, which is why I think it's like really hard to, you know, get away with certain things if in this world with the technology that we use. So the metadata contained the words Christ Lutheran Church and the document was marked as last modified by quote Dennis unquote. So Dennis was actually like a church elder or something. I don't go to church, um, but yeah, he was like in the church in his town. Um, and an internet search determined that Dennis Rader was, oh, here it is. Dennis Rader was the president of the church council. So yeah, um, that's, anyways, uh, so now they had, you know, someone they think is the name from this metadata. Um, and then they used that name to figure out where this guy lived. And then when they drove by his house, guess what they saw? A black Jeep Cherokee. Same vehicle in the Home Depot surveillance footage that where you dropped like the cereal box in the truck. Um, and this is like, you know, strong circumstantial evidence. You'll see that word a lot in the case with uh, the Idaho Four and the Moscow murders. Um, but they needed more direct evidence to actually detain Dennis Rader. Now, this is actually pretty sad in my opinion in this part of the story 
So police obtained a warrant to test a pap smear taken from Raider's daughter at Kansas State University Medical Clinic. And the DNA tests showed a, quote, familial match between the pap smear and the sample from one of the victim's fingernails, Vicky. And this indicated that the killer was closely related to Raider's daughter. And combined with the other evidence, it was enough for police to arrest Raider. Now, what I think is sad about this is that his daughter had no idea who her dad was. And the, um, yeah, she had no idea that her pap smear was ultimately going to lead to her dad's arrest. Um, you know, even though her dad did horrific things, I can empathize with her and be like, yeah, that'd be really, really unnerving to know that this man who was in her life, who she grew up with, seemed pretty normal and was like even a good dad, you know, would, you know, make sure that she got her oil, oil change, you know, every six months and dad stuff, um, to find out what he did. That's, that's gotta be horrible. Um, to find out also that, I mean, I don't know if it's bad to find out that like you were part of the, not, she had nothing to do with his arrest and you're like, he did that to himself, but I don't know. Yeah. Like I, (laughs) it's gotta be a complicated feeling though, to be like, yeah, my pap smear that I did not consent to being used to identify a serial killer was used and it turns out he's my dad. But I mean, nowadays we have all sorts of genealogy websites and stuff. <laughs> no one in my family is gonna get away get away with uh, with um, murder if they leave DNA because I think a lot of us have gotten our DNA sent to Twenty Three Me. Although Twenty Three Me, I think, has better like privacy laws than other. Um, I think like for the Golden State Killer, they connected him through DNA and it was through like a commercial DNA site as well. I think it was like Ancestry.com. But I think that a lot of these DNA sites have like bigger like privacy protection policies in place and stuff because of this reason. Dennis Rader was arrested. And now we get into like the serial killers loving attention part of this case. Now for, uh, for the Idaho four and the Moscow murders, if he gets convicted, Idaho has the death penalty. And I have a feeling that the death penalty might be on the table in that case. And one of the ways that a defense can like argue down the death penalty is by asking for a confession. So on March, okay, let's see. So February, 2005, Raider was charged with 10 counts of first degree murder. So his bail was set at 10 million. He was appointed a public defender. On May 3rd, the judge entered not guilty pleas on Raider's behalf, and Raider did not speak out as an arraignment. Now, an arraignment, if I remember correctly, is where they officially charge you with the crimes. And 
then after that you have like scheduling conference like hearings and stuff where uh you basically set like trial dates and like other things like that um in limine hearings in limine is where like the prosecution and defense argue over the evidence that can be submitted at trial evidence is actually really complicated if you ask any law student you know, evidence is like one of the required classes and it's tested on the bar i think at least in california and uh it's like the evidence you can present at trial is actually like pretty complicated and like there's like only certain things you can do and whatever so there's all sorts of stuff that happens between officially charging the victim or the uh, accused and then before the trial takes place so on june 27th i guess that's when his trial date was which is pretty soon I guess if he was officially arraigned on May 3rd, that's only three months later, he changed his guilt, his plea to guilty. And he described the murders in detail and made no apologies. So yeah, I, I can't, cause I've seen the video before of him and he could probably still look it up. I don't know. Again, I don't want to give this guy more publicity, but I'm talking about it. So obviously that horse is shot in the face. But yeah, he literally like wrote a story about how he did what he did and read it out loud. And yeah, he, I mean, in my opinion, I don't know if Kansas has the death penalty, but I think he... He clearly wanted to be known for these murders. Otherwise, why would he, you know, be communicating with the police and sending stuff to local media and things like that? Like, he wanted attention because this man was never going to get any attention for anything actually worth doing. Um, at his sentencing, he apologized in a rambling 30-minute monologue that the prosecutor likened to an academy awards acceptance speech um and apparently his statement has been has been described as an example of an often observed phenomenon among psychopaths their inability to understand the emotional content of language okay that's directly from wikipedia so that's their their version of what a psychopath is but yeah yeah he yeah so that's the story of uh dennis raider also known as btk and just motive in these kinds of things and how to conceptualize it for an actual human being who doesn't want to murder people um, again, you don't need motive to prosecute a suspected murderer. You just need proof beyond a reasonable doubt that they did the actus reus, which is the actual action of the crime and that they had the mens rea when they did it. And mens rea refers to the mental state and mens rea plays into whether it was like first degree murder, second degree murder or manslaughter. And, uh, so, you know, in a case like Alec Baldwin, he's being charged with manslaughter because he killed a person. He did the actus rea. He physically was the one who shot the gun. But his mindset, 
based on what we know was not that he premeditated it he didn't like think like oh i want to shoot this lady now i'm going to so that's what you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt (laughs) a motive does not play into it um you just have to show i mean for bk he's definitely going to be charged with first degree murder because um you don't go into someone's house with a knife someone someone's house you don't know with a knife at 4 a.m and kill them without having a premeditated intent to kill that's just impossible to argue i think um second degree murder a lot of times i mean it depends on the state where you're being charged but like what i think of as second degree murder usually is like uh usually like something emotional happens and then you kill so like maybe like a murder from domestic violence where like someone has anger and violence issues and they have a relationship with a person and something happens in the moment that prompts them to do the actus reus i.e kill and they have the mens rea of just like really high emotional state where yeah they they intended to to to, you know hurt the person um unlike you know alec baldwin with you know his case i don't think he intended to hurt her um in second degree murder there's definitely like a form of intent there but it might not necessarily be to kill it might you know be prompted by like extreme circumstances you know that kind of thing but first degree murder tends to be like oh yeah i thought about this before i was gonna go do it and then i did it um that's like the simplest way i can explain it but yeah I should probably get going now because my throat's getting kind of dry and Sam is back in the room. That's my fiance. We share a room slash office slash everything. So um, I feel a little like sheepish just talking to myself to a microphone when (laughs) he can, you know, watch me. But uh, yeah, I'll uh, hopefully be back soon with some other stuff not murder related uh you know just talking about reddit and snark pages and whatnot (laughs) all sorts of stuff um yeah i feel like i want to go on a tangent now about snark pages yeah i got into i got into reddit actually because of snark pages now i forgot what snark stands for technically it's like making fun of something but it was because I would see like family vloggers on, you know, Instagram and YouTube and stuff. And I'm very pro being aware of your privacy and like uh, sacrificing your privacy with the internet and not whatnot. And I'm very much against people putting minor children on the internet. I mean, it's one thing if like, you know, your 12 year old has a TikTok and they put stuff out, you know. I don't know where I stand on, yeah, that kind of thing. But I'm totally against when, like, grown adults put their, like, kids in, like, videos on the web and stuff like that. I mean, unless it's, like, there's certain, it's not a blanket thing. But, you know, family vloggers, like, come on, where you're, like, oh, like, Sally's first day at first grade where someone made her cry, you know? And so just, like, exploiting what are supposed to be private personal things for these kids 
and yeah so i kind of became obsessed with one family vlogger family called i don't know if i should say their names because i don't want more people to look at them but look at the reddit page i don't always agree with the snark pages though i don't really like them either because sometimes they're just gross but the lebrant fam on instagram i like i would like go through their comments on instagram and i was like why does no one point out that this is so exploitative you know like why is no one saying anything and like i'd be on like their youtube videos and like no one would say anything and i realized that like they delete comments and stuff like i'm just a dumbass i just didn't didn't think of that um and that's how i found reddit because i was just like so frustrated i was like does no one think this is wrong like i can't be the only one that like thinks this is so bad and that's how i found um like a little brant fam snark page on reddit and i yeah i became a little not obsessed but i was just like you know when you find like a new social media thing and then you're like oh like you like check it all the time and you have your little like nooks and crannies that you like yeah well that was one of mine for a little bit um but honestly like after like seeing that reddit page and stuff i just felt better like knowing there were other people out there that were like not okay with it and yeah i think that alone made me feel better but then i started finding other snark pages like like tiktok snark or like blog snark and pod snark and there's like nyc influencer snark and stuff like that and they're they're fun sometimes but I think people get a little too into it and like say shit that just is like sometimes people like call people out for a post they're like I don't really think this was necessary like what they did wasn't that bad but like that's like one out of every 10 I feel like and a lot of times people would be very nitpicky about like influencers and stuff which is fine like if you put yourself out there whatever people are gonna talk people are gonna not like you like you can be the sweetest peach in the tree but not everyone likes peaches um but what i hate i just like i hate it when someone insults someone for something that's like totally out of the their control and has nothing to do with like their actions or them as a human being <laughs> um and like like one time my little brother was uh my little brother's little aggro but he was like talking shit about this guy that i guess bullied him or whatever i don't know and he was like yeah and he comes from just like his family's like poor and i was like that's not like to me that's offensive but it's not an insult like he had nothing to do with his family's like socioeconomic situation you know like that's it reflects nothing on him like it just makes you look bad to say that you know and so I think if you're ever gonna like talk shit like that's kind of weird that's my mindset I'm like you gotta like pick something that they're actually responsible for and uh I was on the NYC influencer snark page and <laughs> this girl I actually love her podcast um Shannon from fluently forward made a tiktok video and she was basically like making fun of the snark page because I, I she goes on reddit and she was talking about like you know okay callie should make like you know um uh, she should go to like med school because everyone gives her a hard time for having gone to law school and not being a lawyer and stuff like that 
and the Stark page got so annoyed at fluently forward slash shannon they were like they were like oh like you're three weeks clean from the snark page like oh you think you're so cool and then like one of the comments is like what why is this girl with no upper lip talking and maybe i took this seriously because as a fellow woman with no upper lip i was just like that is what like if i get fillers then you're gonna make fun of my filler stash like i'm not it's it's like it's literally my genetics that made me have no upper lip okay so if you're gonna if you're gonna like try not to be other things you know um <laughs> like you know like ableist and like things like that then don't make fun of people's just like genetic disposition like it's it's so dumb it reflects nothing on shannon as a human being except for the fact that she hasn't gotten fillers which like if anything shows that she's spending her money other places although i know she's had a note she's like i said she's had a nose job so like i know she's not above like fillers or anything but i did think it was funny i was like that just makes you look bad to choose that as like the reason the thing to make fun of shannon for um yeah so i just wanted to give that little advice about talking shit pick out something a little more creative something that takes some thought and a little bit of agency on the part of your victim um okay i should really go now that's all stay classy bye